The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from 1 Chronicles 29, 10-18. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all these things come from you, and your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. Our Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, hey, good to be with you. How are we doing? Anybody still waking up? No, not at all. So good to be with you. I've got that before. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into God's word. Let's just take a minute, even before I pray for us, just to, to quiet our hearts before God. I don't know what you're carrying here with you this morning. What burdens... What griefs, what joys. I don't know what drives your heart as you say, come thou long expected Jesus. I don't know what pain makes you sing that. What longing, what anticipation. Just take a minute, give that to the Lord. Lord, may you come and do what only you can do. Just fill our hearts and our lives with you. I love you. Proud of Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to start this morning. I'm going to say tonight probably a few times. But I'm going to start this morning with this, which probably is one of the least controversial statements I will ever make as a pastor. And that is this. Good things are worth celebrating. Amen? Good things are worth celebrating. If you're new and you're coming into this space this morning, if you notice a sense of joy and exaltation and jubilee, that is because this space for us is a good thing worth celebrating. We've been praying for a space where we can gather together on Mondays, and I think the Lord has been not just kind to meet us, but exceedingly kind to meet us where we are. Good things are worth celebrating. Last weekend, I was reminded of this reality when uh, my alma mater at the University of Sacramento Gamecocks beat our rival, Clemson, for the first time since I was a senior in college, which is a long time ago if you can't tell by my hair. Good things are worth. 
it, <laughs> celebrating. We've got some couples who are getting married at the beginning of 2023, and we're going to go, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to party, because good things are worth celebrating. We've got some mothers who are expecting in our church that over the next six months are going to have new life and new babies and good things that we are going to celebrate. Good things are worth celebrating. We have folks in this room who have promotions or new jobs or exciting new houses or just things in their life that we're gathering and rallying together saying, yes, good things are worth celebrating. Well, in case you've forgotten, over the past seven days, we are in a series called Give Like God over this Advent season, where we've been reflecting on the joyful, sacrificial generosity of our God and considering how that might spur us on as a people towards lives of generosity ourselves. And what I want to convince you of today from 1 Chronicles 29, which is a very fun but random passage, is this. Generosity is a good thing for itself. That's my goal for us, just to convince us and win us to that reality that generosity is a good thing worth celebrating. Rather than a drudgery or a have-to or a twist my arm, I guess so. The generosity, giving, is a way by which God might grow our joy as his people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And he says, hey, I'm going to come visit you soon, but before I get there, I want you to start taking up an offering for me and for other churches that I have planted to support them. And this is what he says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 9. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here's the key, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful God loves a cheerful giver. I love the way one commentator translates this passage into modern-day language when he says this. He says, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind about what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. I love that. God <laughs> loves it when the giver delights in in the giving. That's the goal, that we would be a people who delight in the giving, that there would be a delight in generosity, not just from the one who receives the gift, yes, but also, and I would say especially for the one who is the giver. I think there's a beautiful story of this in First Chronicles 29, which just, just read for us. So if you're not there yet, get there with me. If you need a Bible, there should be some kind of spread out along the road. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take that home with you. Read it. We'd love for you to encounter Jesus through the scriptures. But First Chronicles chapter 29, to give you some background, uh, this is a story that takes place near the end of King David's reign over Israel. And David comes under conviction from the Spirit that it's not right for him to live in a giant, beautiful palace and for God to live in the tabernacle, which was essentially a tent. It was a really nice tent, but it was essentially a tent. And so he says, God, this is not okay. Can I build you a temple? And, David, and God says, no. Your son Solomon is actually going to be the one to build the temple. But, David, I want you to collect the offerings to provide him the resources to build the temple that I have for him to build. And so David goes and he challenges all the tribes of Israel. Go among yourselves. Decide what you're going to bring to this offering. We together are going to build God a temple. And so they do. They go off and they come together on this day. And they bring what scholars say is equivalent to $400 million in today's economy. 
$400 million. That is a successful building change if I've ever <laughs> And here's what happens. Here's what's shocking. That is beautiful enough, but look at what happens. Verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. Not under compulsion, not with arm twisting, not because they have to, willingly. The people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. Talked about this last week. You can't have a divided heart when it comes to generosity. You cannot worship God and money. And the text here says they're joyful, they're glad because they have a whole heart. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So notice David's rejoicing, yes, as the one who was receiving the offering for God, as the one who's going to put it in its place to build the temple. But notice who else is rejoicing? The people. The one bringing the gift. The one sacrificially and generously bringing what they have to the Lord. They bring the gift, and then they celebrate. And this is not just like church on a Sunday, like clap your hands a little bit celebration. Notice the end of the chapter, verse 22. Skip it ahead a little bit, but I, I think it paints a good picture. It says, and they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Isn't that beautiful? Now, just, just imagine, this is weird, okay? Just let me put it in modern day for us so you know how weird this is. Can you imagine if you brought your offering to church on a Sunday? Or in today's day and age, like, did ACH bank draft or credit card giving on And you saw that, and you saw that it went through your bank statement, and you were like, hey, our giving went through to the church today? Let's go celebrate. Honey, get a babysitter. We're going to go out and eat and drink because our giving went to the Lord today. Or imagine this. Imagine we had a member meeting, which we do twice a year. We're talking about the budget. We're like, hey, guys, we met budget again because of the ongoing generosity of our church. So we're going to party. We got some food. We have some drink. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice together. Or imagine on January 8th, right, we can get up here and say, hey, during the Christmas season, we had the goal of raising $5,000, not for citizens, but for God's glory to spread across our city and across our country through church planting and all these different mission efforts. But we, we raised way more than that. So we're going to party. We're going to celebrate. Which just feels a little bit weird, right? Like there's a lot of things that I'm ready to celebrate <laughs> as a Christian. Is my giving, is my generosity one of those? That's the picture we get in First Chronicles 29. That's the heart we are called to have, which is very convicting for me because that is not my heart at all. So about a year or so ago, uh, Lindsay and I's HVAC just hit the fan. It just crapped out on us. And uh, we had one, one of those Nest thermostats, which I did not put in. It was there when we moved into the house. I don't really like it. I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to technology, which means I just don't like technology that much. And But it felt, it, it crapped out. And so I was like, I'm not going to even try to fix it. I'm just going to call a guy. So I called the guy, and he shows up. And it's one of those where he says, like, I need to take a further look at it. But it could either be like $10 or $10,000, one of the two. And you're like, somewhere at the bottom. That'd be great. So he looks at it, and he comes back after about an hour or so, and he says, yeah, the whole thing is shot. You're going to need a whole new unit. HVAC, outside air conditioner, furnace, everything. And at that moment, uh, it was a bit of, as you can tell, frustration. And in that frustration, this is my heart. I know I'm a pastor and I'm preaching and all that kind of stuff, but let's be honest. Um, I had this thought really then and then for the next several weeks, if not months, where I said, man, that could have been paid for if we had not done X, Y, and Z in generosity over the past year. And that's not like, look how awesome I am, look how much we give. That's like, my heart is evil and greedy and wicked. And I remember over the next six months, every time our giving would go through, I would think something like, man, that's money that could have gone to the age back. My heart is not one of a cheerful giver. Maybe that's just me. 
But if I had to guess, I would bet that some of us are in that very place as well when it comes to generosity, right? Quick part check, how are you even responding right now as I talk about being a cheerful giver? Is that something that's even on our radar? Is that something that's even as an option for us? That's the, the encouragement of 1 Chronicles 29. That's the encouragement of Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. And so the question becomes for us then is how? Like how, right? If God loves a cheerful giver, and I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, if I want to be a type of person that is loved dearly by God, and if God loves a cheerful giver, what does it mean for me to be a cheerful giver? Like how do I do that? How do I actually grow in generosity? How do I actually move into a space where giving is not just some burden or obligation, but actually something I step into with joy, with gratitude, with gladness? The question for us, I guess I would summarize like this. How does generosity move from a wearisome duty to a worshipful delight? How does generosity, how do you enter into a space where you can give and give generously to the kingdom of God in a way that is not arm-twisting or pulling or obligation or frustration or I guess if I have to, but actually one of worshipful delight? Well, I think we have something to learn from First Chronicles 29. What I want to show us is three perspective shifts. Three shifts in our perspective of how we view our finances, how we view our money, that I think is going to help us move from giving and generosity being a wearisome duty to a worshipful delight. Three perspective shifts, we'll hit them fairly quickly. Number one, first perspective shift is this, from everything belongs to me to everything belongs to God. From everything belongs to me to everything belongs to God. Look at verse nine with me. And the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For the whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. I mean, he's just going on and on about how great our God is. To you, O Lord, the victory and the glory and the majesty. Notice this last time. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. There's that key line from David, right? For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. So the first perspective shift to be a cheerful giver is the shift from everything I own belongs to me to everything I own is actually the Lord's. Or another way you can think about it is I am an owner to I am a manager. I am an owner to I am a steward. Because the scriptures are very clear on this. Everything that you think you have doesn't actually belong to you. It actually belongs to God. God himself says it this way in Psalm 50. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. I love it. I don't think you can call God snarky. That'd be kind of weird. But I love, he's like, hey, if I'm hungry, I'm not going to tell you. I own everything. Look at what he says. For the world and its fullness are mine. God needs nothing. Is your God big enough in your mind conceptually to see God needs nothing? Nothing. He owns everything. Everything is his. The car you drive is not yours. It's God's. The house you own is not yours. It's God's. The clothes you're wearing, the shoes you have on your feet, the cell phone in your pocket or in your hand is not yours. It's God's. 
This space that we get to worship in together is not ours. It's not even technically the YMCA's. It's God's. Paul would even tell us in his letter to the Romans that we do not even belong to ourselves. We are not even our own. We, as followers of Jesus, are also belonging to God. Everything you own is not yours. It is God's. So David says, God, we bless you. We bless you because, yes, we are bringing it in, but everything we are bringing is just actually returning it to you because you own it anyways. So he's worshiping and he's celebrating. I mean, think about it this way. This is why this perspective shift matters. Think about it this way. Uh, Lindsay and I have a financial planner, right? His name is Ryan. He's a lifelong friend of mine, a close friend. He uh, does all the things financial planners should do for you. So we give him a set amount of money, and he puts it in stocks and investments and bonds and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully one day, Lord willing, I can retire in some way, shape, or form. So we give him money. He does all of that. Now imagine one day we've done this, and he's managing it for us and stewarding it for us. And then we say, hey, Ryan, we need some of that money out. Like we got to make this update on our house. We got to buy a car. We got to send our kid to school, whatever it may be. So imagine I call Ryan. I'm like, hey, we need this money. And his response is like, yeah, no. So thanks. First of all, like, well, you're fired. But second of all, that would be shocking, right? Because that money does not belong to Ryan. Now imagine Ryan said to me, yeah, Tim, I can't give you that money. I actually have some plans for it. Like, I actually have some things I'm going to do with it. Like, I know that you gave it to me to manage for you and to steward for you and to take care of for you. But I'm like, you know, I got some stuff that I want to do on my house. And, like, I needed a new car anyway. And, like, I'm just, it's mine now because you gave it to me. That would be shocking if he did that. That's not his role. That's not his job. Yet that is the posture so many of us take towards God and our finances. not. Right? And it's his, and he gives it to us to steward. Jesus is very clear on that. So many parables about us being stewards of what is the Lord's, of what is the great master's. And he gives it to us to steward and to manage. And then he comes asking for us to use it for his kingdom purposes. And we say, yeah, I'm good. I got stuff. I got to use it. Good things. Good things. Stuff I want to use it for instead. But if that's our posture, we will never learn to be cheerful givers. Because the joy is in the giving. The joy is in the generosity. The joy is in going, yeah, Lord, this is yours anyway. Why am I going to tell you what to do with it? Why am I going to hold on to it? Why am I going to use it for my own purposes? It is yours. What do you want me to do with it? It's yours anyway. I'm just returning it back to the one who owns all things and gave it to me. That's the first perspective shift. The second is similar to it. The shift is from everything I have, I've earned, to everything I have, I've received. So the first shift is everything I have belongs to me. Second, to everything I have belongs to God. The second is from everything I have, I've earned. To everything I have, I've received. So not only does God own it, but he gives it to us as a gift. Look at verse 12, 1 Chronicles 29. It says, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Verse 15, for we are strangers before you, and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. So David says, who are we, right? Our days are like a shadow. Ecclesiastes Solomon would say that we're like a mist. Right here today and gone tomorrow. It is the Lord who gives all good things. It is the Lord who supplies generously. Look at what he says in verse 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name. So he's not, he's not playing around. He says, we've brought this. 
We've given this, but everything that we have given comes from your hand and is all your own. So not only does it all belong to God, but it's all a gift from him to us. Which means not only can he tell us how to manage it and steward it according to his glory and his purposes, but he also says, hey, don't forget, everything you have doesn't just belong to me, but if it's in your hands, it's there because I've given it to you. It's there because I've decided to place you in charge of it. To which the natural American and I think human response is like, well, that's not true. Right? I mean, even cognitively, those of us who are like, yeah, I'm following Jesus, there's even a part of us that's like, but I've earned what's mine. Like, I've worked hard. I studied long hours in school. I was a good manager and steward of my finances. I didn't get myself into debt. Like, I have taken care of myself, right? Like, this, yes, I know that, like, that one time that person stepped in and cared for me, that was a gift from God. But, like, this other stuff, I've worked for that, right? Like, even if it kind of still belongs to the Lord, like, that is mine. But then, if that's our response, if that's our pushback, let me ask us just a couple of questions. Who gave you the strength to work hard? Who gave you the mental capacity to be able to stay up late and study in college? or in high school, or in middle school. We take it even a step down than that. Who puts you into the family that you were born into? Or the neighborhood that you were born into? Or the city that you were born into? Or the year that you were born into? Who even gives you the very breath in your lungs that fills your heart and then fills your brain with oxygen to do the very hard work that you say you are doing on your own? Acts 17, does God not say, I give life and breath and everything to mankind? I love Tim Keller here. He says this in his book, Generous Justice. He says, if you had been born on a mountaintop in Tibet in the 13th century, instead of a Western country in the 20th century, then no matter how hard you worked, you wouldn't have much to show for it. If you have money, if you have power, and you have status today, it is due to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all your resources are, in the end, the gift of God. This gift. And so this gift that it's given to us not to hold or hoard, but to give in return. To give to those around us indeed. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. As he kind of continues along this trajectory of joyful giving, he says this in verse 11. He says, Church of Corinth, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So he says, church, don't worry. You should collect an offering, but God's going to bless you. He's going to enrich you so that, not you can hoard it, keep it for yourself, but so that you can be generous with everything that he has given you. Big or small. So this last week, this is not about numbers. This is about thanksgiving and gratitude and generosity with what God has given you to steward. Jesus says he gives some five, he gives some two. All are called to be faithful. But let's be honest, this is incredibly difficult, right? Everything belongs to God. It's a gift from him to be stewarded and managed and given away. But my heart, and I would guess most of our hearts, don't just generally default to that. We don't just default to joyful generosity. And so that leads us to the need for the third shift, and that is this. From human effort to spirit and power obedience. From human effort to spirit empowered obedience. Verse 17. David says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. 
David says, God, don't let this be a bad thing. We don't talk about back then spirituality, right? Oh, well, we were generous back then. Like, I was faithful to what God called me to back then. I took a really big leap for him in college because there was less on the line in college. I was responsible for less in college. I could have more audacious faith in college. I could go take more risks for him in college. That's a back then faith. And David says, don't let our generosity be a back then generosity. Keep this in our hearts Keep your purposes on our lips. Keep our hearts directed towards you. Don't let this offering we've taken fall to the wayside throughout the generations. Let Solomon and those after him know you are the one who provides and gives all good things. Keep our hearts directed towards you. David says, for this, God, we need your help. We need your help. We cannot do this on our own. Setting out to be a cheerful giver is impossible without the changing power of the Spirit. It's impossible, because you and I, apart from the power of the Spirit, apart from God's work in our lives, will do what St. Augustine says, uh, our souls turn in curvatus and say, which means in on themselves. Left to our own without the Holy Spirit, we will just fold in on ourselves. And what we want, and what we're interested in, and what we're going after, we will just collapse in on ourselves. So we need the Holy Spirit to change us, which is why I ended last week and will end again here. The goal for Give Like God is not for you to give. Which is like, oh, you got Why don't you just spend the last 30 minutes? The goal for you is to get alone and let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. To get alone with God, asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you just change my heart? Because with God, it's never about the money. It's always about the heart. And the money reveals the heart. And the money changes the heart. So God is always after our money because he's always after our hearts. He wants to change our hearts. And we will not, and we cannot ever learn to be joyful givers. We just won't. You won't fall into it unless the Spirit comes and changes your heart. And the Spirit comes, as we talk about all of the time, through what? Through practice and through prayer. Through being the type of people who practice generosity, giving space for the Spirit to change us as we do that, and through seeking Him, going, Holy Spirit, I don't want to give right now. I don't want to be generous. I don't want to be sacrificial. I don't want to care for that person in need. I don't want to step out into faith. Change my heart, even as I obey you while I'm waiting for you to change my heart. See that? We need God for this. So here's the, the goal for us, and just kind of where I'll close this. The goal for us is that we would learn to be a people who give from joy. The Spirit would change our hearts that we would give from joy, but also that we would be a people who learn to give for joy. There's joy on the other side of the generosity. That's what we see at Christmas time, right? Is that not the message of Christmas? That there's joy in generosity. We sing this song every Christmas, uh, Joy to the World, right? Anybody actually like that song? Oh, like three of us, yeah, it's fine. I feel like it's one of those that we're supposed to like, but it's fine. But how's it go, right? It says, Joy to the World, the Lord is gone. Let her Christmas. This is what Jesus says in Luke. 
Luke chapter 12. It's the same uh, story that he says in Matthew 6, where he's talking about, you know, fear not, don't be anxious. God clothes the lilies, he feeds the birds. I think we talked about last week for us trusting our Heavenly Father. Look at how he ends that story in Luke 12. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'll read it again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What? It is actually God's pleasure to give us the kingdom? It is actually God's delight and joy to give us the kingdom? It is actually a cheerful, rejoicing, celebratory thing for the God of the universe to give us the kingdom. So when Jesus shows up 2,000 some odd years ago in a manger in Bethlehem to Joseph and Mary, it is not just joy to the world. There's also joy to the Father. It is his good light to send his son to usher in the kingdom. Because here's the thing you have to know about your God. As we think about what it means for us to be cheerful givers, here's what you have to understand about God. God never asks you to be something he is first not. And our God is first and foremost a cheerful giver. He is one who delights in giving. So when you're down to that last dollar, and you are begging the Lord, God, would you provide for me like you provide for the lilies and the birds? You are not prying open the hands of the he delights in you. When you go to him on your knees, begging, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Wash me clean. Make me right with you. Cleanse my soul. You are not grasping at, at a generosity and mercy of God that he does not first delight to give. He's a cheerful giver. When you come to him for salvation, when you come to him for new life in Christ, you are not coming going, hey, is it all right? Like, I know I'm kind of annoying and difficult and full of sin. Like, do you kind of want to forgive me? No, you are coming to a father who delights in giving, who delights in generosity. And so here's the beauty of the gospel, is that God is our great example. Yes, absolutely, and amen. In Christmas, we celebrate the giving and generosity and joy of God, but he's not just our great example. He is also the one who is able to actually change our hearts to be generous. So we don't just look at God and go, all right, we're going to give like God. We're going to be like him. Let's do a bunch of things. We actually go look at God and then say, okay, by the power of the Spirit and by the good news of the gospel, will you change my heart to be this type of person? That's what God promises in the gospel, does he not? All throughout the scriptures. Our salvation, our forgiveness with Jesus is not simply some transactional theological reality. It is actually a spiritual reality in which we are made new. The Bible says that God takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. The Bible says that the old self is done away with and a new creation has come. The Bible says that we are literally, not literally, but spiritually literally born again. All throughout the scriptures is a newness language because God says, no, by yourself, without my spirit, without the good news of the gospel, you're just going to turn inward. But the good news of the gospel is he changes from the inside out and enables us to then obey him and reflect him in joyful generosity. And so our hope, again, throughout this whole series is not, let's go be a generous people. Our hope in this series is, let's go believe the gospel more. Let's go trust Jesus more. Let's go be aware of our Savior more. Let's go rest in the goodness of our God more. If you're walking out every week going, all right, I gotta go figure some stuff out. I gotta go figure out the generosity thing. They keep asking me for my money, twisting my arm. No, we're very clear. Let us stay with Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. No, God loves a cheerful giver. So I just want to hold up Jesus again and again and again and let him do what he wants. If that for you is nothing, then that for you is nothing. Settle out of the Spirit. 
Each must decide in his own heart what he should give. So he gives knowingly, without compulsion. There's joy on the other side of that. God and I am after your joy. Your flourishing. We pray for us. Let's celebrate communion together. Lord, we are grateful for who you are. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel that, God, you are not only our beautiful, wondrous example of generosity. God, I love Luke 12. I mean, it is your pleasure to give us the kingdom. But that's not just a good example, Lord. It's so much more than that. It's a promise. That's a promise that all who would trust in you, all who would hope in you, all who would believe in you, all who would repent of our sin, turn from running our own lives and turn towards you, that we would actually have to promise not just a forgiveness, which is incredible, not just of being washed clean, which is unexplainable, but of being actually made anew, being made into new creations. And our hearts of stone will be done away with when we be given hearts of flesh, soft to the things of you, soft to the needs of others, empathetic, full of generosity and joy that we might participate with you in your work of generosity. God, so I pray that you would guard against frustration, I pray that you would guard against bitterness in our hearts. God, I pray that we would not be a people who give under compulsion. God, would you, would you shape our hearts like only you can by the power of your spirit to grow us to be a people who celebrate in generosity. How desperate we are for your spirit. How desperate we are for the gospel. Lord, we love you, we need you. It's probably something Christ's name. All God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.